1992, Eddie Murphy starred in what would become a classic film of black cinema, a classic romantic comedy with him at the top of his game, a heavily, readily, often quoted showcase that feels deeply embedded in the black cultural canon, the way so much of Eddie Murphy's films are, but this was also aspirational. Exhibiting black characters and lives in rare form for the time, with two major legends in the supporting cast. Y'all, I'm talking about Boomerang. But this film also birthed an equally excellent soundtrack that is now hailed as one of the greatest of all time. Produced by L.A. Reid and Babyface for LaFace Records, this soundtrack would create not just hit songs and timeless jams, but give voice to men a historic chart runner with End of the Road. Because of this glorious soundtrack, we first heard Tony Braxton, Love Should Have Brought You Home, a line from one of the film's best scenes, a song that introduced a singer that would have one of R&B's most enduring careers. The riches don't end there. We get a sultry bedroom breaker from Johnny Gill called There You Go that just might be his best song. We get a jam called Don't Wanna Love You from Shanice Wilson, a brilliant existential ballad called I Died Without You from PM Dawn even a duet with Aaron Hall and Charlie Wilson. Like the film, the soundtrack was a moment, a major addition to the Black cultural canon and raised the bar for Black movie soundtracks to come. A cover song can be tricky. It can make or break the performer for a period of time or make both the song and performer timeless. In 1992, I found myself in a new neighborhood with a broader reach of cultures, friends, allies, and a treasure trail of a woman positive awakening. I knew a lady's first attitude was necessary to balance some of the stifling noise I experienced, especially at a tender age. And I am of the generation where pop culture was the gateway for all of those equality aspirations. Whitney Houston, the brightest star in all the galaxy, shimmered and divaed in 1992's The Bodyguard, and we all knew the soundtrack had to be as electric as the buzz for this film. I'm Every Woman, a 1979 hit from the powerhouse Shaka Khan, was reimagined for the second single on the Bodyguard soundtrack. If the bounce sounds familiar, that's because Robert Clavillas of CNC Music Factory fame did some of the additional production. And if the words ring in your bones, that's all Nicholas Ashford and Valerie Simpson. In the video, a pregnant Houston surrounds herself amongst the beauty of black women and girls with recognizable faces like TLC and a Shaka Khan presence of approval, long removed from Houston's background days on Miss Shaka's 1980 album, Naughty. Certainly, Houston was humbled and celebratory of the elders' labor that truly set the tone. Whitney could not fail, and she was the bridge for a decades-long message and had her hand in the intersections of putting Black women and girls at the center. Some of us needed to see that then to be where we are now. I'm screenwriter and music enthusiast Robin Cheney. And I'm writer and professor Ashley Blackwell, and this is Rhythm and Schooled. Breaking down 90s R&B, one year at a time. Episode 3, 1992, What's the 411? In 1992, R&B was experiencing another shift. This shift was felt, but much harder to define. Where does New Jack swing end and hip hop soul begin? By definition, they are harder to distinguish. Both are R&B subgenres with hip hop overtones. But where New Jack swing was more party driven, high energy and dance floor ready, Hip-hop soul was smoother and moodier, merging that soulful singing over hip-hop beats typically used for rappers, especially the sound of the New York boom bap. One moment in particular is seen as the genesis of this new wave, 
and that's Jodeci's Come and Talk to Me remix. Come and Talk to Me, the hit mid-tempo slow jam from Jodeci's debut album, remixed over rap group EPMD's You're a Customer track, was a game changer. This was hip-hop laying the baseline as groundwork for an R&B single. Yes, there were moments prior, but it didn't quite feel like this. Hip-hop soul would soon dominate R&B for the rest of the decade, birthing hit songs, superstars, and its own offshoots. Nothing in R&B would be the same again. The decade seemed to be hitting more of its stride this year to establish an energy of optimism, turmoil, controversy, and the laughs we sometimes needed. So just a few of the highlights include MTV gifted the young and the thirsty with the real world, one of the first inklings of what reality TV would do for culture and commerce, beginning its peak of non-music video programming. And sidebar, The Real World Boston is my favorite season. And oh, I'm yeah. looking for a revisit because, folks, we need to have a 2023 conversation about <laughs> that season because I'm, I'm, I'm so scratching for it. Martin made its television debut on Fox on August 27th, 1992. But the most popular programming for the moment was 60 Minutes and Roseanne. And then we had Aladdin, Sister Act, The Bodyguard, Basic Instinct, and Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. And they were the latest films that age-appropriate audiences wide were at theaters checking for. The Chicago Bulls won the NBA championship for the second year in a row, with the help of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, of course. And Jordan's It Factor had him even in Michael Jackson's video for Jam. Unfortunately, we also had the L.A. riots occur following the acquittal of the police officers involved in the beating of Rodney King in 1991. According to the L.A. Times, more than 60 people died over five days as the city was looted and set on fire. NBC's A Different World covers this in both a serious and tension-breaking manner to bring awareness to the structural and institutional reasons why this happened with an array of perspectives from guest stars and the Black characters as this kind of perfect conduit, especially for young viewers, to understand this event. The song of the year was Whitney Houston's other smash cover of Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You, staying at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for 14 weeks. And singer Sinead O'Connor stirred it up by tearing a picture of Pope John Paul II during a performance on Saturday Night Live to protest the abuse of children within the Catholic Church. Wow. Child, what a year. The LA riots, I mean, that hits the hardest. It was really scary. And even though I was like a thousand miles away at the time living in Connecticut, it felt so immediate. It was on the news constantly. And I, I definitely remember that Different World episode and was glad they added to the awareness of the event, especially for younger viewers. On a lighter note, you could not escape I Will Always Love You. God, that song was played, I, I swear, at least every five minutes. Everybody had their mouths wide open when that song came on. Whether they could <laughs> sing or not, their mouths were open. Very true. <laughs> Oh, and I remember sitting down with my mom watching the first episode of Martin. Like, I can really see it. I remember it so well. I was in seventh grade. And I, I, I knew then that Martin was unlike anything else on TV. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Oh, and the real world was so major. I remember being captivated by that first season. I never saw anything like that on TV. Like, that show had my attention. It was yeah. fantastic. Absolutely. As a teenager, that was our young and restless. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That was our, Those are our stories. It was Real World and Beverly Hills 90210. Those are my stories. 
For me, it was the real world and Melrose Place. Ah, nice, nice. And the top 20 R&B singles of 1992, according to Playback FM. I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. As stated previously, this was the biggest song in the world for a really long time. You heard it on the radio every two minutes. It was completely inescapable on every single radio format. And I always say, I think the heavy metal stations were playing this song too. End of the Road by Boys to Men. The other biggest song in the world. I think it's their most defining song. Like, if you don't know Boys to Men, play this. Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams. Keep It Coming by Keith Sweat. A Whole New World, Aladdin's Theme by People Bryson and Regina Bell. Remember the Time by Michael Jackson. This is actually my favorite song on the Dangerous album and also one of my all-time favorite music videos. <laughs> my Lovin', You're Never Gonna Get It by En Vogue. Don't Walk Away by Jade. Baby, Baby, Baby by TLC, written by Babyface, who is a genius. Like, he just really knew how to write for artists. I just think this is such a fantastic TLC song. Mr. Wendell by Arrested Development, Tell Me What You Want Me To Do by Tevin Campbell, Humping Around by Bobby Brown. <laughs> Love Bobby, but I just couldn't get with this song. <laughs> Here I Go Again by Glenn Jones. Ain't Nobody Like You by Mickey Howard. Shout out to Mickey Howard. I love seeing her on the charts. She had a really solid like 80s R&B discography. So to see her show up in the 90s with this jam was pretty cool. Tennessee by Arrested Development. Definitely, I see this as alternative rap, but that's probably why it's on the R&B charts. Uh Ah by Boys to Men. Come and Talk to Me by Jodeci. Perhaps my favorite Jodeci song. All Woman by Lisa Stansfield. If I Ever Fall in Love by Shy. And as mentioned in our last episode, um, Boys to Men and Jodeci really did pave the way. I don't think we'd have this acapella gem from Shy without Boys to Men bringing that doo-wop sound to the forefront. Hmm. Uh, what do you think of the top 20? I just want to point out three standouts here for me. Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams. I really do like this song. So two things... <laughs> are really interesting to me about this song. Well, three. So number one, the song itself is great and I really enjoy it. There's something, there's this mellowness and the somberness to it that mm -hmm. really kind of like speaks to that inside of me. You know how like music is vibration and you can feel it in your bones. Like yes. for some reason, that song to me really appeals to that sensibility. And number two, the title mirrors the tagline for Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, <laughs> which I always found delightfully odd. <laughs> and so I always connected. So in my brain, you ha I have saved the best for last and also Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Those two kind of converge a little bit. <laughs> if I remember correctly, I believe Freddy's Dead came out in 91. I remembered the In Living Color parody of this song. I remember seeing it when it, actually, when it actually aired. So if you look back at the lyrics, they weren't even clowning Vanessa because I believe it was Kim Wayans playing Vanessa Williams. And it seemed like they were like kind of celebrating her achievements in spite of her losing the Miss America crown in the 80s. I remember that being a big controversy. I remember my mom telling me about that. Mm -hmm. So instead, Save the Best for Last becomes Kiss My Ass 
And it's it was like I kissed my ass to all them uppity critics. And I thought it was really <laughs> funny. You can find a very um, bad transfer on YouTube of that um, quick kind of parody. Because, like, remember when those In Living Color, like, music videos, they were, like, some they were of the, the highlights <laughs> of, like, the episodes. Yeah. And so that one was one for me. Even when I was a kid, I remember thinking that was really funny. And Here I Go Again by Glenn Jones of We've Only Just Begun Recognition was a song in passing, I remember. So I remember hearing it, but I didn't know the artist, but I remember really liking it back then, and I love it even more now. If I Ever Fall in Love by Shy, of course. You're absolutely right. It's a fantastic song. And Mm -hmm. it just makes me, it just reminds me that maybe I'm just a little bit more picky about male groups or Mm -hmm. I'm more accepting of them than I originally imagined because their sound and presence, I just vibed with it more than Boys to Men, for example. Okay. So it was just something about Shy I just really liked. And of course, I remember going back to Martin, I remember the Martin episode where it was like when him and Gina had broken up. He's in the club singing If I Ever Fell. (laughs) Singing the song. And so it's just, again, I just love those kind of callbacks. I love when sitcoms kind of bring the music that we love into it as well. It goes goes back to how TV shows were really relating to the pop culture at large. For sure. I love that. I love that you remember the TV shows. It's, It's so awesome to reminisce that way. And now it's time for the Grammys. Airing on February 24th, 1993, the 35th Annual Grammy Awards for Songs Released in 1992. The Grammy nominees for Best Rhythm and Blues Song of 1992 are as follows. My Lovin' You're Never Gonna Get It by En Vogue, Jam by Michael Jackson, End of the Road by Boys to Men, I'll Be There by Mariah Carey, Ain't Too Proud to Beg by TLC, and the winner is Boys to Men, End of the Road. So who would you have picked for the best R&B song of 1992? Now that I think about it, I understand why Boys to Men won for that song. It does feel a little bit more universal and holistic than the other songs, maybe, especially appealing to more broader audiences. And it do- it makes sense. So I, I guess if I were to pick a personal favorite, it would be En Vogue. It's never going to get it. That's probably one of my favorite En Vogue songs, but such is life. <laughs> Yo, I no, I love the En Vogue joint. It's probably one of my favorites by them as well. But I'm definitely not mad at the Boys to Men win either. I mean, the song had such a historic chart run. I think they deserve the win. But if I'm honest, I would go with any of these nominations as wins. <laughs> I think every song in the category is a banger, for real. Doing the Impossible, this is where we choose some of our five favorite tracks from the year. My first track that I selected was Shantae Moore's Love's Taken Over, and I am so excited to talk about this song. It's probably one of my all-time favorites, and I am so excited to mention Shantae Moore, who deserves more of a spotlight for making this really wonderful, grown R&B over the years. I think the song is just so dreamy and has such a groove to it. Shante sings with this really beautiful restraint, and it feels like I'm floating on a cloud when I listen to this. 
I also feel there's some heavy inklings of proto neo soul here too, especially with this like hip hop flavored track. And there's something very jazzy about it too. It puts me in the mind of Sade a little, but also bands like Incognito, who are also on this wave of like jazz-fused R&B. But this also kind of stands apart from that too. And there's this hip-hop undercurrent to it. I also love the song's theme of love taking over someone and how helpless we feel to it. The song makes love feel really soothing. Like you want to love like this. Wow, you brought up Neo Soul Incognito, which oh my goodness, let's let yeah man, let's <laughs> deep dive it Incognito. What y'all know about Incognito out there, y'all? For real. I love I love Incognito. So that's really fantastic uh, analysis. There is these droplets of Neo Soul in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Do like that song very much as well. Yay! My second pick is Jade's "Don't Walk Away." Y'all, you hear those opening chords? And you already know what's coming. (laughs) (laughs) You know, y'all know what I'm talking about. This song was such a phenomenon when it dropped. It's a jam through and through. It's got New Jack Swing attitude. And probably maybe in the last of those New Jack Swing heavy jams before hip hop soul kind of really took over. Jade was a girl group that might have gotten lost in the shuffle of this huge wave of girl groups in the 90s. But to me, this song keeps them from the cruel fate of obscurity. It's such a classic jam that folks still remember it, them and the video. I think I will love this song for the rest of my natural life. And I will dance when that beat drops, no matter where I am. So do not play this at funerals. It brings back some of the best memories for me. It's just undeniable and irresistible. And never has begging for a man sounded so harmless and endearing. Fun fact, the baseline of the song was sampled by a tribe called Quest for the song award tour, which I also love. So I, I found it really hilarious that you talked about the opening chords because the first thing I think of when I think of Don't Walk Away is those opening chords. Right? <laughs> this this was really a, such a jam. It's so timeless. And speaking of timeless jams, we got Portraits, Here We Go Again. Portrait is just a drop in the ocean of the endless wave of male R&B groups of this decade. Here We Go Again is their biggest hit and probably puts them in that one-hit wonder category. But I got so much respect for the one-hit wonders because I always say if you have one song people love and remember over the years, then you've had major success because how hard must it be to be so memorable? But I do remember Portrait. And here we go again, which appears on lots of Black Family cookout playlists to this day. It's a breezy, funky bop with New Jack Swing appeal. Uh, What separates it from me is the funk influence on it. I remember my mom really loving this song for that very reason. The song feels inspired by the funk of Cameo specifically. You can hear it in the vocal approach too. But it is also heavily immersed in New Jack Swing production, which adds this real party jam flavor to it. I mean, I couldn't talk about 1992 R&B without mentioning this song. And another one-hit wonder that I really remember and really got love for is Loki and their song, I Got a Thing For You. Um, I added this song because I find this to be one of the forgotten gems of the 90s in that sea of male groups. It's a mid-tempo ballad, and like Portrait, Loki approaches the track paying homage to Cameo and even references the song Candy in the lyrics. These guys were singing. They were bringing their own flavor to the pot. It's a really sweet song, and I wish it was remembered better. My final pick is Sade's I Couldn't Love You More. When we spoke about 1990 
and what Anita Baker was able to do at the dawning of the decade by remaining uncompromising in her music, I think of Sade, the vocalist and the band, to also be uncompromising, never wavering their sound to whatever is the most current or contemporary. Anita Baker and Sade are very distinct, but they are most compared because of how unwavering they are when it comes to giving us mature adult contemporary soul, which often found its home on the Quiet Storm format, especially during this period. In 1992, Sade dropped a now classic album called Love Deluxe, which ranks on many lists as the greatest, one of the greatest albums of the 90s. I wrestle with what song to mention for this segment, but this song is probably my favorite on the album. I think the song perfectly conveys what makes Sade so distinct, so brilliant. I mean, the music is really lush, it's sultry, and there's this jazzy ambience to it. It's also really moody and soulful and romantic, but there's this like icy, cool detachment in the delivery of Sade, the vocalist, which she has definitely perfected. I absolutely love this song and the whole freaking album. Since we could only pick five songs, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Invoke's cover of Giving Him Something He Can Feel. They cover an Aretha song and took it to new heights, so I just had to mention that. Since Robin Dunn stole a portrait from me, Oops. <laughs> Not really, but that actually would have been one of my top choices. I only have four choices in this episode that were actually released as singles in 1992 here. The first one for me, Near and Dear to My Heart, Keep on Walking by CeCe Peniston. This stems from my days going to city summer camp. So that's either at your mama's friend's house that was large enough for about 20 grade schoolers or when she was able to get a small business grant to operate in a larger facility. One of my favorite older activities people, shout out to Soretta. I love you wherever you are. I hope you're doing well. She was our dance instructor. So we would do like Zen warm-ups to like Tony Terry's With You. And she orchestrated our kind of end of summer dance recital one year where myself and a small group of girls did our best fly girls impression to Peniston's Keep On Walking. But please do not ask me to attempt that choreography now at my big age. I am not <laughs> graceful at all. Cecilia C.C. Pennison was nestled in a pocket where blending post-disco sensibilities with New Jack Swing gave her work on the album titled, finally, the dance soul edge it needed to be embraced by the underground and mainstream crowds. So when we talked about her plucky spirit on a previous episode, we were tapping into the performative presence thanks to her theater background. Keep on Walking is warm, authentic, and you can always just tell that C.C. gives everything her 110%. What's so endearing about this, I'm looking out for number one after a breakup tune, is the video towards the end that always gets to me, where a little girl cries because a boy she gives a flower to just crushes it in front of her face. And then Cece comes in to give her a flower to the girl, a Black woman doing her best to mend the blow of disappointment all of us in relationships have experienced. I really remember the video now that you just said that part. <laughs> I, yes, it was, that's a moment. Like that video was, was really something, but I really remember that. Yeah, I I love this song. Yo, Cece was really having a moment in this this these early 90s. And I love her vocals on this. The song just has so much attitude. I don't even have that much to say about it. It's, it's, it's a jam. One of my other picks from this year was Money Can't Buy You Love by Ralph Tresvant. 
A star vehicle for the Marlon and Damon of the Waynes, the film Mo Money, was this kind of light romance action comedy that was bested by its accompanying soundtrack, especially with Tresvant's single. Linking with Jamin Lewis again, who executive produced the whole affair, after his solo debut album, Ralph hit a peak at number two on Billboard's R&B chart. What's unfortunate is that this platinum-selling album did get a bit eclipsed by All Things Boomerang, which came out around the same time, so songs like this one may have fell through the cracks a little. Oh, I agree. But this, you know what? This is my favorite song by Ralph Tresvant, and it's not even close. <laughs> He's got a lot of great material, but this song to me is just really, really special. Like I I always say there's songs that really show the magic in an artist. This was magical for Ralph. Like this is such a great song. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis truly understand artists and how to make that magic. And it's so on point for the film. Yes. I also have on my list here, high fives. She's playing hard to get. File this under the exception to my rule. Once again, I love high five. I think I have mentioned that before, but I will mention it again. I love high five. Give me all the organ playing accents over the puppy love swooning by the male species here. (laughs) Their grounded Texas swag and Tony Thompson's looks and lead vocals give this song its youthful stride that I see even in commenters on YouTube affirming its timelessness. So She's Playing Hard to Get feels like another Motown-esque wave in the content, but has all the 90s flair. And I say this because this kind of just was this sweet high school appropriate type of like track. It's interesting you mentioned Motown because I can see where it's like this really kind of infectious kind of R&B pop jam. Mm-hmm. And I I yeah, I agree. This was a great song. It's a real it's a really cute little bop and it's very easy to get this song stuck in your head. You'll just keep hearing that chorus over and over again. Yeah, I love it. It has that teeny bopper first crush vibe. Yeah, it's dope. My next pick I'm going left of center. I'm going all the way left. I'm going off of the margins with this one. But rock with me. It's Damn, I Wish I Was Your Lover by Sophie B. Hawkins. And I really don't care what category this song falls under. I love it. And it's soulful. And I was fresh out of ideas during this go-round, so there. This song has reverberated over time. There's nothing about Damn, I Wish I Was Your Lover that is stale. From the way Sophie belts damn to assuring the woman she'll rock her until the daylight comes, it's Sophie's sincerity that shines through as a fierce song that's not only about love, but loyalty and sacrifice. But that's how emotions work, to evoke our depths no matter how seemingly hyperbolic. Perception here is reality. What's further interesting is that Sophie began her career as a budding percussionist. Interesting because them drums, a Led Zeppelin (laughs) sample, in this song match her vocal intensity. And I wish we heard more stories like this. Sophie gets fired as a player in Brian Ferry's of Roxy Music fame, Road Band, and the midst of disappointment has the revelation we've all have had after getting fired from a job asking, was that gig really who I am or what I'm supposed to be doing? And stews in the discomfort of the opportunity for freedom of expression, pushing yourself to do the thing you want to do but are kind of afraid to do. So she scribbles the first ruminations of damn on her walls. Those piano chords, that haunting emo-esque monotony, a beautiful mistake because she got tired of playing and found something inspiring. And the moment hit her. Her thoughts went into a tailspin of peace, that feeling you know when you're doing the very right thing at the very right time. This was new for Sophie, who pegged herself as a well of mediocrity. 
Further taking this attitude into the song's release on her debut album, Tongues and Tales, Will Anyone Get It or Like It? We did, to a number five on Billboard's 200. This song is even more affirming for me because of the way Sophie herself has described it. She says, quote, There are times when you write a song and you think that it's okay and it's fun to play. People like it, whatever. But then there are times when a song comes out where you feel like it's almost ugly. It's almost excruciatingly uncomfortable to listen to, yet you're compelled. Those are the good songs, end quote. I cannot tell you how much I deeply reverence the ugly and uncomfortable because it makes us see who we really are and what we can be and what can come out of that. Damn certainly set a tone for a shade of the decade that hung out in the sombering content section along with my so-called life and Foxfire and the like and so forth. Yo, yeah. Yeah, I was surprised when you selected this one, but honestly, the song never really felt bound to any genre. There's a soulfulness to it and it's it still feels really edgy and progressive even now. Absolutely. School is in session. So with our legacy segment, we just want to have longer discussions regarding artists, careers, albums, moments, and movements in the 90s, trying to add nuance and to contextualize music history for y'all, because this music history is massive and we can't dismiss it. Let's embrace it and all the complexities that come with it. Introducing Mary J. Blige, What's the 411, and the Queen of Hip Hop Soul. So as we've stated earlier in the episode, the landscape of contemporary R&B majorly shifted in 1992. The marriage of R&B and hip hop was official and birthed the next wave of Black popular music in a light we had never seen before. I will never forget the moment. I was down South at my grandmother's house, hanging out with my older cousin when Mary J. Blige's You Remind Me video came on BET. We were both transfixed. We had never seen anyone like Mary J. Blige on our TV screens before. This felt major, and it was. We were witnessing the debut of the queen of hip-hop soul. 21 years old at the time and signed to Uptown Records, Mary J. Blige's debut album, What's the 411, was executive produced by Sean Puffy Combs. The album was a tremendous critical and commercial success and quickly became the new blueprint for the sound of hip-hop soul. Here we had what felt like the Gen X version of Aretha, Shaka Khan, and Billie Holiday all rolled into one, singing over the most hypnotic, infectious hip-hop tracks. The second single, Real Love, a bouncy, undeniable jam, skyrocketed on the charts. There was just something about Mary. She had a look, a style, an attitude that felt relatable, that felt familiar. It was street, it was edgy, it was hip-hop, and it was also soulful and sincere. She was the ultimate cool. We all wanted to be that cool. On the album, jams like Reminisce and Love No Limit were sultry and moody. There was also a classic soul cover of Sweet Thing, originally sung by Shaka Khan, that honored the legacy of R&B of the past and bringing it forth into a new generation. Deep cuts like My Love and Changes I've Been Going Through solidified this new era of soul. Suddenly, hip-hop had a leading lady, and it was Mary J. Blige. She was respected in the rap world in a way few R&B singers were at the time. Journalist Daryl McIntosh 
states, quote, Blige took something that should have been obvious to be a binary compound, infused it, delivered it to the masses, and became one of the greatest cultural ambassadors in the history of the music industry in the process, end quote. The album became a new blueprint, a template, a classic gem, an album you can't ignore. If we're talking about the evolution of R&B, we have to talk about what's the 411 and how it changed the game. Do you have any favorite tracks from What's the 411 or memories of Mary's debut? Not of her debut specifically, but because I grew up in a Shaka Khan affirming household, I remember hearing Mary's cover of Sweet Thing on the radio, and I remember really liking it. I liked that an older song was here for a younger audience to either Mm -hmm. discover and or kind of, you know, embrace. And most definitely the older Black girls I was around loved Mary, and I jumped on, not with the intensity that most fans had, I gotta be honest, but I really appreciate the sound of what was happening with What's the 411. Uh, So Love No Limit is my deep, deep, favorite. I think that was the one that kind mm-hmm. of like brought me completely into the fold. I love that song. That's a so great song. <laughs> a great song. It really takes me back. And it's really the remixes for me in this era. Like mm-hmm. the remix from My Love with Heavy D. Oh, man. <laughs> That's, that. This was my Mary Spiral. And I cannot get enough of these songs. Calling her the Gen X version of the past greats is beautiful and just perfect. Thank you. Yeah, you know, you can really see the lineage when you kind of look at it from a distance. And I always saw her that way. I saw, I, I just feel the Aretha in her. I feel the Shaka Khan in her. I, I feel the Billie Holiday as well. Moving on. So for the next segment, I wanted to discuss Bobby Brown and his album, Bobby. As previously mentioned, the ever-shifting landscape R&B was experiencing in the 90s gave us new sounds and new superstars. But what was happening with superstars whose careers were most prominent in the 80s? Having multi-decade success is a difficult task. I don't think we discuss that enough. How hard it is to have a career that stretches decades, and by that I mean having hits and relevance in those decades. This is why I wanted to discuss Bobby Brown and his Bobby album that was released in 1992. In 1988, Bobby Brown's Don't Be Cruel album was an enormous success. It was 1989's best-selling album and has sold 12 million copies since its release. Not just a huge seller, it took New Jack Swing into the mainstream. Keith Sweat and Guy were making major hits, but Bobby Brown was getting constant MTV airplay and pop chart domination. I think a lot of people forget he was one of the biggest musical artists of the 80s. The expectations are almost impossible for any artist when an album is that big and that impactful as they try to figure out what's next. Perhaps those impossible expectations played into the development of the Bobby album. The album did spawn hits and sold 3 million copies, but it lacked the excitement and innovation of Don't Be Cruel. Going back to listen to the album, it's solid, but it's not as cohesive or as exciting as Don't Be Cruel. Largely produced by Teddy Riley and Babyface and L.A. Reid, There are jams on this album, primarily Get Away, Good Enough, which I think is the album's standout, and That's The Way Love Is, which feels like classic Bobby. Something in common with his then-wife, Whitney Houston, is probably best remembered for its video, in which curious fans got a window into the couple's life as tabloids spun weekly scandals. I also think folks became more obsessed with Bobby being with Whitney Houston than with the music he was actually making. 
The Bobby album is often seen as overlooked and underrated and underappreciated. I think it's important to see how someone as influential as Bobby Brown and as big as he was during this time struggled to find his place among so many new artists that he influenced. The sound of R&B was changing. The Bobby album feels very much like Bobby and his producers playing it safe in terms of sound and approach. What made Don't Be Cruel such a phenomenon is that it was bold and it pushed R&B in a new direction. The Bobby album feels a bit out of step for him in 92, based on the impossible expectations. I mean, the album isn't terrible, but it lacks the magic of what made his previous efforts so amazing. But the beauty of having a legacy is that despite the missteps of this album, Bobby Brown remains revered as a legend in R&B and continues, in my opinion, to be an influential figure. Like, we don't get Jodeci or Usher without Bobby Brown and so forth. What do you think about the Bobby album? Yep. After hearing Humping Around, I stopped paying attention. (laughs) Somehow I feel that when a sound permeates so much in a culture and so many artists are working with the same producers, there are standouts and then there are not standouts. And Bobby didn't match his previous effort. I totally agree. Now, many of us know, according to the gospel of Mackay Pfeiffer's Tommy Brown, that Bobby didn't put the work in like he did with Don't Be Cruel. Hmm. That is the lore. (laughs) And some songs on Bobby, like you mentioned, are fine, but nothing is rock with you, in my opinion. Exactly. As we talked about the magic, like a, like a, an album or a song giving you that magic, like rock with you is magic. And Absolutely. I feel like Bobby kind of lost the magic for, for many reasons, but it's not uncommon as artists try to move into new decades, as we've talked about before. I have described, and I will describe here, TLC as the all-wave womanist. They don't really look, you know, like women. Wow. Remember when baggy clothes and the refusal towards utter demureness created an antagony brew for the simps? That passage of words, the audaciousness in 1992, was deliberately chosen by album producer Dallas Austin to open TLC's first album, Ooh, on the TLC tip, to challenge notions of what it meant to be a girl and a woman. If you identified as one, some of us felt like there was a perpetual foot on our necks. And then here comes T-Boz Left Eye and Chili with their bright colored clothes and their even brighter colored condoms. And whether you thought it was all a gimmick or not, it actually was a lot of Lisa Left Eye Lopez's incorporation of how they really dressed and behaved according to Tion, T-Boz Watkins, and Rosanda Chili Thomas. Their presence and message as a trio was palpable for a sandwiched-in generation who had to swallow the daily implications of chauvinism, entitlement, and patriarchy in a way they didn't have the full expression and critique for quite yet. Until TLC. Remember when the youth tempted fate by dialing into 9100 numbers, taking their lives into their hands knowing that that phone bill would find a parent or guardian? Just to get a taste of the inklings of the layperson's user experience of the Jukebox Network. So the Jukebox Network was a television station where it was all videos all the time. And you call in to enter a numeric code for the video you wanted to see. I will never forget stopping in my tracks to witness Left Eye in that big old green hat watching the Ain't Too Proud to Beg video and its code being repeated over and over and over and over again, thinking this group is going to be bigger than this video. 
the South certainly has something to say. The Atlanta-based three, although Lopez was a transplant from Philly, had a LaFace record imprint and a fierce group of producers like Dallas Austin, Babyface, Jermaine Dupree, and more. Baby 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 with Babyface helped them understand and stretch their vocal range in R&B. Hat to the Back with Dallas Austin helped solidify their message and sound. And then there's Bad By Myself with Jermaine Dupree that just puts a nice bow on their Look Who's Running Things ethos and hip-hop vibe. In conjunction with the skilled rhymes and distinct raspy and sultry singing, TLC brought their playfulness, openness, and unapologetic use of their own opinions, experiences, as well as standards in regards to sex, relationships, including friendships, and rape culture to their debut album, figuratively Kool-Aid manning their way into our consciousness. They were hard to ignore and so very easy to embrace. It's no wonder they're still one of the best-selling girl groups of all time. Yes, they are. Man, oof. I was awestruck by that Ain't Too Proud to Beg video. I will never forget the first time I saw it, and I was instantly obsessed with these ladies. We were all rocking those baggy cross colors for a few years because of them. (laughs) And for some reason, I identified most with Left Eye and playfully attempted to wear a condom over my glasses (laughs) that I got from health class. But for real, they may have been conceived to be the female Belleville DeVoe, but they became so much more. I mean, their significance could not be understated. They were tremendously influential during this time as to what girls and women could look like, how they could dress, the attitudes towards sex positivity before we even had that term. I mean, they made me feel good about myself. And their songs and videos were so fun and so playful. I love how they didn't take themselves too seriously. And I I think What About Your Friends is probably my favorite song on the album. But I can't say this enough. This album is a groundbreaking classic. And TLC remains, like you said, one of the greatest girl groups to ever do it. But last and certainly not least, I feel like it's about time y'all recognize that SWV is the greatest. It certainly seems like SWV, Sisters with Voices, is a female trio singing group that couldn't be obscure even if they tried but that's got to be my own slanted view of reality. Since their ascent on radio, television, and into the consciousness of my peers, I literally have not been able to get enough of the down-home presence and talent of Cheryl Coco Gamble, Leanne Lily Lyons, and Tamara Taj Johnson-George. I remember Playground Whispers of that song, Black Puddin', and how another childhood friend of mine and I conspired in our obsession, especially with their sophomore album, New Beginning, but more on that later. So the reality TV documentation, the verses, rumblings about a biopic that's going to be on Lifetime, last time I checked, God help us, <laughs> new albums in the 21st century, and I'm not going to lie, the drama, I just want them to be okay, I want them to get along, I love them all, has been the nostalgia fuel I have been craving as a fan for 30 years. Simply, SWV is my favorite girl group of all time. There's a polished imperfection in their public personas and a perfect edge in their image and what they deliver to us musically. It's their non-monolithic style and seamless ability to strike listeners with both ballad and bop like lightning that has created a deep sense of love and appreciation out of Xennials on the brink of coming of age when their debut album was actually released. Recorded in just six months, It's About Time became a coveted work of art 
oozing with female-centric sex-positive assertions, unfiltered bravada, and piercing romantic confessions. With every single making a cultural and numbers impact, it's no surprise it went on to become more than five times platinum. So that song, Weak, which didn't emerge as a single until 1993, was an inescapable staple that occupied the rendition game from silly to absurdly serious during its peak. It was actually fun witnessing. The four minutes and 50 some odd seconds of vulnerability originated from a lovelorn producer, singer and songwriter named Brian Alexander Morgan about the then up and coming singer Shantae Moore. Morgan's imprint on It's About Time cannot go without primary mention. He's been known as the unknown production morsel between L.A. and Babyface and Timberland. His humble Midwest beginnings as a third of a Shalimar S trio down to a duo trying to get a record deal, Morgan has experienced the highs and lows of being a multi-hyphenate in the music biz. His resume notes work with artists wide such as Usher, Aretha Franklin, Missy Elliott, and Stevie Wonder, just to name a few. With It's About Time, he adamantly wanted to give the group's debut sound a little less swing to create something a bit more unique. I'm So Into You, the breakout single, was Morgan's effort to pivot out of the definitive sound. A hip-hop head at heart, his chops of samples rivered into a soul and gospel finishing touch, which arguably elevated the sound of the time. He blended soul and rap press WV, which made them such a fun standout. Eight tracks when It's About Time is all Brian's vision. It's hard for me to just have one favorite. Actually, it's impossible, but the Right Here Human Nature remix, which just transports me all the way back to being a kid, was so important as a Teddy Riley production. And it was one of the first times that Michael Jackson allowed his work to be sampled due to his already established trust of Riley, which gave SWV not only clearance, but a no charge. If I were to assume Coco, the discerner, Tamara, the spirit, and Lily, the heart, has made SWV an unwaverable force in music. And my first ever taste of what it was like to have pop culture models for attitude, style, and art. You know, folks who know us think we bonded over our love for horror movies initially. (laughs) And that may be true of how we connected. But I remember precisely the moment we really bonded. And it was because of our love for SWV. Right on. (laughs) There's just something about Coco, Taj, and Lily and these timeless songs they've given us. I remember my dad buying me this album as a Christmas present, and I played it constantly. It's just such a great album. There's New Jack Swing and Inklings of Hip Hop Soul, but those slow jams for me are just untouchable. Week was beautiful. And yes, it got overplayed for good reason, but it's about time. The song is exquisite, always on my mind. It's irresistible. The original Anything song was just so heavenly. Whew. Mm-hmm. SWV's impact cannot be denied. And when you're talking about some of the greatest vocalists in contemporary R&B, please put some respect on Coco's name. Absolutely. I mean, you could go back and listen to this album over and over and over again and find these jewels. Coming Home is another one of my personal favorites as well. I love Tamara on um, the rap SWV in mm. the house. It's just, <laughs> there's some really deep tracks that are just so fun. And then there's the weak acapella. The album is just great.
like the brownstone single i heard it through the grapevine are just some insightful tidbits we came across while doing our research or from distant recollections passed down that we wanted to mention so robin what you done heard through the grapevine you know i done heard i can't remember where i read or heard it but babyface originally wrote end of the road for anita baker when she passed on it it went to boys to men and I can see where Babyface was trying to go with that. And I think an Anita Baker version could be interesting. But ultimately, the song went to the right artist. I mean, Boys to Men did an excellent job. And I actually can't imagine anyone else singing that. I 100% agree. I can't see Anita Baker singing it at all. <laughs> I heard Tamara from SWV say, and this is a quote here. Our group name was actually TLC at one point, and when we were about to come out, Tamara, Leanne, and Cheryl, but we got a cease and desist letter from a company down in Atlanta who says that we couldn't use that name, she laughs. They had already copywritten and marked that name, and we couldn't use it, so we had to change our name. We didn't know what to use. Our manager at the time came up with Sisters with Voices. We were like, sounds like gospel singers. Who that? <laughs> we used the name, and it grew on us eventually. Now we can't think of anything else we would rather be called, end quote. That is so hilarious to me. It's also so hilarious cool. that I never even thought that Tamara, Lily, and Cheryl literally are TLC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it just it took, it took that for me to go, oh, yeah, I could totally see why they would want to be called TLC. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. But, you know, Sisters with Voices really works for them, like, SWV, like I'm, I'm with it, but that is so funny. I love that. So this was our look back on 1992. Please visit com for our archive of shows, notes, and references for your own independent schooling and get to know us. We fly. Our email is the411 at rhythmandschooledpodcast.com. If you have feedback and want to speak out on your favorite R&B artists of the 90s, we'll be sure to read and share on the show in the future. Apologies for any social media confusion. We're working on some troubleshooting and best practices for where to find us online outside of the website. And to hear curated mixtapes for each episode, find them exclusively on Spotify. Until next time, have a good one, y'all. Be blessed. Peace.